The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Today is Friday, June 18th, 2021. On this day in 2010, Ronnie Lee Gardner was put to death in Utah. When asked to choose the method of his execution, Gardner requested a firing squad. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes depictions and discussions of harm against minors, sexual abuse, and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Today we're covering the death of killer Ronnie Lee Gardner, who was executed by firing squad. Let's go back to Utah on June 18th, 2010, just after midnight. At 12.15 a.m., 49-year-old Ronnie Lee Gardner was strapped into a chair. His red hair was shaved bald, and he appeared calm, even as state officials aimed several high-powered rifles in his direction. Gardner's execution marked the end of a life marred by sexual abuse, drugs, and mindless violence. His first encounter with the law had been at the incredibly young age of two. Back then, police picked up the malnourished, wailing toddler as he wandered the streets of Salt Lake City, Utah. When they brought him home, they found his mother, Ruth, stomping around and brandishing a belt. She was always looking for an excuse to beat Gardner and his six siblings. Despite the abuse, however, Gardner was never taken away from his parents, and he suffered for it. When he was five years old, an older sister and her friend sexually assaulted him. He started sniffing glue and huffing gasoline at six. By age 10, he was already addicted to drugs. That was when his mother and stepfather started giving him alcohol. It didn't take long for him to start committing violent crimes. He spent the next decade in and out of mental health institutions, juvenile detention, and jail. On April 19, 1981, 20-year-old Gardner escaped maximum security prison. He was on a mission to murder the man he believed had raped his girlfriend. After stabbing the alleged rapist, he engaged in a shootout with another man and took a bullet to the neck. Police arrested him soon afterward. Seven months later, he was shot again by a shotgun-wielding prison guard as he tried to scale a razor-wire fence to freedom. But nothing could deter him from attempting another escape. On August 6, 1984, he faked being sick and was taken to the University of Utah Health Sciences Center to receive treatment. At some point, Gardner grabbed a transportation officer's pistol and forced a motorcyclist at gunpoint to drive him away. He later left the officer's gun and the motorcyclist's wallet behind in a mailbox with a note. 
In the message, he apologized for his crimes and stated he just wanted to be free. He claimed he never intended to hurt anyone again. He broke that promise just three months later. On October 9, 1984, 23-year-old Gardner got into an argument with 37-year-old Melvin Otterstrom. Melvin was working the bar at the Cheers Tavern when Gardner stormed in with a gun and killed him. A month later, Gardner was back behind bars. As the city prepared to try him for Melvin's murder, he launched his most intricate escape attempt yet. On the morning of April 2, 1985, two guards escorted him from prison to the Metropolitan Hall of Justice for a hearing. At some point, a female accomplice slipped him a pistol, which he then turned on the guards. One of the men reacted quickly, shooting Gardner in the upper chest before he could fire back. Covered in blood, Gardner ducked into an archives room. Inside, he ran into attorneys Bob Marcy and Michael Burdell. Marcy could only watch as Gardner shot Burdell point-blank in the face and continued running. Bailiff Nick Kirk then burst out of a stairwell entrance. Gardner pumped another shot into Nick's stomach before mounting the stairs to the second floor. With only one bullet left in his gun, Gardner exited the building and came face to face with city police. He knew he was caught. He tossed the pistol down and threw himself on the lawn to surrender. Attorney Michael Burdell died 45 minutes later, while bailiff Nick Kirk suffered chronic pain for 10 years as a result of the shooting until he died in 1995. In June of 1985, Ronnie finally pleaded guilty to killing Melvin Otterstrom at the Cheers Bar. He was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. Four months later, when on trial for the death of Burdell, he was convicted of capital murder and sentenced to death. The judge allowed Ronnie to choose the method of execution. Most convicts at the time selected lethal injection, but Gardner told the judge he'd take the firing squad. Up next, Ronnie Lee Gardner pays for his crimes. Hi, listeners. It's Carter from ParCast, and I am thrilled to tell you about a new limited series I'm hosting just in time for Father's Day. It's called Devious Dads, and it introduces you to some of the most feared, fraudulent, and fatal fathers in history. Every Sunday on Spotify, discover the men who started out as role models and ended up becoming real-life criminals like Wall Street financier Bernie Madoff, whose billion-dollar Ponzi scheme destroyed countless families, including his own. Or Marvin Gaye Sr., whose envy and resentment towards his son's successful music career drove him to murder. Each episode of Devious Dads has been handpicked from shows across the ParCast network, shining a light on the men who are far more wicked than wise. This summer, catch a glimpse of the frightening side of fatherhood. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Devious Dads. Listen free only on Spotify. Now back to the story. On June 18, 2010, 
Ronnie Lee Gardner was executed by firing squad after being convicted of capital murder. For decades, the firing squad had been considered an outdated method of execution. The guillotine, lethal injection, and the electric chair were all developed as seemingly more humane alternatives. Gardner spent nearly 25 years on death row contemplating his decision. During all that time, he claimed to have changed his ways. In 1999, for example, a psychologist forced Gardner to reflect on the pain he caused others through his life of crime. Gardner recognized the trauma of his abusive childhood and saw how it contributed to his violent behavior. That same year, he had a surprise visit from attorney Bob Marcy. Marcy had witnessed Gardner murder Michael Burdell in 1985, but he seems to have chosen to forgive Gardner for his actions. He even later taught the prisoner grammar, yoga, and the tales of King Arthur. Gardner also learned about farming and made plans to develop a facility where children suffering from substance abuse and legal issues could live in peace. He wrote to potential donors like Oprah Winfrey to support his dream and hoped they would continue the cause after he was gone. But not everyone believed Gardner's newfound compassion was genuine. On September 25, 1994, he got drunk on alcohol he made in his sink and shanked another inmate. Authorities believed the incident occurred because Gardner was jealous of another murderer. He simply craved the spotlight and always wanted to be the toughest guy in the room. However, after decades on death row, even Ronnie Lee Gardner was ready to give up. By the end of his life, he suffered from rheumatoid arthritis, hepatitis C, and leukemia. He was exhausted. On June 17, 2010, Gardner napped after marathoning the Lord of the Rings movies in a special holding cell. At midnight on the 18th, guards woke him up to tell him it was time. Shortly after, officials drew back the curtain on the execution chamber. When someone asked if he had any last words, Gardner said he did not, and a black hood fell over his face. 25 feet away, five anonymous riflemen stood behind a brick wall with a horizontal gun port. They were volunteers from local law enforcement. One of their 30 caliber Winchester rifles contained a blank cartridge, so no one could be certain who did or did not fire the fatal shot. At 12.15 a.m., the deafening roar of rifle fire filled the death chamber. Four bullets tore the small target on Gardner's chest and ripped through his heart. Radio talk show host Doug Fabrizio saw the inmate's fist clench and unclench immediately after the shooting. As gun smoke drifted toward the ceiling, the room fell silent. Ronnie Lee Gardner was pronounced dead at 12.17 a.m. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime.
Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Paul Liebeskin, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Daniel William Gonzalez, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, and fact-checking by Adriana Romero. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hey there, Carter again. As we close out, here's a reminder to check out my new ParCast limited series, Devious Dads. For 10 weeks, we're exposing the men who are far more flawed than fatherly, ruining anyone who stood in their way, even their own families. Follow Devious Dads free only on Spotify. Spotify.